0: My uh, second son, Joshua, and his wife, Christina, are 15 weeks pregnant, and their experience has been anything but easy. They have had painful miscarriages, long waits for test results during COVID, lots of fear, and now things look promising. The miracle that we nit- witnessed this morning is each child. The miracle is Haven and Gordy and Renly and Gerard and Kira and Geron and Hunter and Brantley. They are here with us, present in this world. Each child a gift from God, each with their own story of how they came to be, each celebrated and valued in the families who love and claim them. I had the privilege of holding a newborn in my arms five times. I remember the moment for each one of them, tiny bodies, messy and awkward, sometimes with temporarily misshapen heads from their journey. But for that first moment, before any of the stress of sleepless nights set in, before the word no was ever uttered by a two-year-old, before they could sit-crawl or toddle, that first moment, was pure bliss. That moment that I understood, you are a miracle. Before they do or perform a single thing, just the advent of them is a sea-splitting, mountain-moving miracle. There are three stories in the Bible that deal with children, One is a baby, two is a child, third one is adolescent, they come from the Old and the New Testament, they span about a thousand years, give or take. They all have to do with God's heart and concern for children. They're not the only stories of children in the Bible, and some of the stories are pretty grim as we humans work out the valuing of the weaker among us. But these stories, each in their own way, are glorious. So we're going to spend just a few minutes with each one this Sunday morning as we celebrate the younger among us. Our first story begins in the first chapter of Exodus. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. So what we know so far in this story is that the Hebrew people, once beloved and welcomed in Egypt, have grown in number, become a threat to an insecure pharaoh. Now, a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months, But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him, coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it, put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank, She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister, the baby's sister, asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When she grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Oh, boy. There is a lot to unpack in this story the murder of innocent children, slavery, as an accepted economic system. But it is worth noting that deep in the heart of patriarchy, written millennia before the feminist movement would arise, we have the story of multiple women who saved the life of a Hebrew boy, The closest we get to male involvement in this story is now a man of the tribe of Levite married a Levite woman. After this, we have the Levite woman strategizing, doing everything possible to save her baby's life. We have the baby's sister who assists in the scheme and an Egyptian princess who becomes mom, of course, our story is fraught. It is a story that is working with broken humanity, trying to find God's goodness and redemption in the midst of evil. But at the heart of the story is the valuing of life by heroic women sacrificing and risking for the sake of a little baby boy. It should be noted that even the Egyptian midwives mentioned earlier in the story whose job it was, tasked by Pharaoh to kill the Hebrew male babies, refused to do so, participating in God's redemptive plan. Centuries before Ida B. Wells or Susan B. Anthony, Rosa Parks, the Me Too movement, God's story is replete with women paving the way for liberation and God's concern for the least among us. Our second story is sometimes referred to as the calling of Samuel. Samuel is a little boy whose life has been dedicated to God. He lives with a priest named Eli. This is from 1 Samuel chapter 3. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days the word of the Lord was rare the word of the Lord was rare there were not many visions One night Eli whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see was lying down in his usual place the lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was Then the Lord called Samuel Samuel answered Here I am, and he ran off to Eli. Here I am, you called me? But Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me? My son. Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to the young boy. You know, what a sweet line. Like how many times are we moved by God, but God's voice has not yet been revealed to us. A third time, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. You called me? Then Eli realized the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if God calls you, say this. Say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, As at the other times. Samuel. Samuel. What a story. I love the story so much because Eli does not have a clue what's going on. When I was in grade school, I would pretty regularly wake up my parents in the middle of the night because I was worried about people in our world who didn't have enough food to eat my parents assured me, Honey, everyone has just what they need. Go back to sleep so we can. Understandable, I was not always the most discerning with my own children at 3 o'clock in the morning. But what would have been helpful for me would have been my parents taking note of my concern and asking themselves, what it might mean about who I was becoming, what I was becoming. What might have helped me is them saying, we're so proud that you care. How lovely that you can feel the suffering of others. What might have helped me would have been their finding opportunities to learn about food insecurity with me and helping me to participate in that solution. I think about how many times I missed it with my own children. Something in what they were saying or not saying or doing or not doing, something in their demeanor, some clue that was an invitation for me to know and bless and affirm the calling of God in their lives. It would be hard for Eli to discern by a middle-of-the-night disruption that God was speaking to Samuel. Take heart, parents, in the room, because just like in our story, our children are relentless and will give you lots and lots of opportunities for discernment. Finally, in our third story, we encounter Jesus as a 12-year-old boy. This is in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. When my oldest son was 12 and was taking some kind of class, I don't remember what, on campus, on the university campus, I would pack up my five kids, drop off Luke, take the kids for a walk or to play somewhere for an hour. One time our signals got crossed. Luke wasn't exactly lost in the sense that he knew exactly where he was and he knew he was safe. And in all fairness, he was 12. He wasn't like five or six. But in the minutes that went by, my panic grew. And I can still remember trying to tell the campus police that my 12-year-old son was missing. And I can still remember their look on their face. They said, well, how long has he been missing, ma'am? And I said, oh, well, 45 minutes, an hour. I didn't get a lot of help. As it, Turned out, Luke did get a little lost, but over time he figured out where we were, and he made his way back to us. And I responded, pretty much like Mary, oh my gosh, where were you? Luke did not say that he had to be in his father's house. (laughs) But all that to say, we can imagine how terrified Mary and Joseph would have been, will we find him? Is he alive? Will he have been harmed? To see him in the temple, they had to be relieved that he was okay, mad that he put him through that. And once their hearts stopped beating through their chests, curious, After all, Jesus is 12 years old, and he stayed behind to engage in theological debate with adult rabbis, who apparently thought he was doing quite well. This was not like an adolescent prank. I sometimes wonder if years later, when Jesus was preaching in the synagogue, if he would flash back to this moment as his formation, A moment where he said, something feels right about this. I feel more alive than I ever have, as if this is what I'm meant for. And clearly, while we know so little about Joseph, we do know that Mary, in the end, and after all her worry, treasured this moment, just as she had 12 years earlier. And more than that, scripture says, treasured. All of these things. And I picture Mary taking stock of Jesus, remembering that angel that came to her, remembering the wise men and the shepherds and Anna's prophecy and Simeon's blessing. And as much as Mary was able, she attempted to know her son and bless him. So with our remaining minutes, these are just a few invitations we might find in our stories. One space was made for each child in the story. A basket for Moses, home in the palace, a temple for Samuel, Eli as a father-priest, a place of Jewish study for Jesus with learned rabbis who could stir Jesus' thinking. Whether it is a literal home that we are invited to make for our children or it's finding spaces for them to emerge, discover themselves and how they fit in the world like a kid's wing in a welcoming church with crazy-loving adults. My daughter became best friends with a young woman at college whose home life was pretty limited, and for a number of reasons that aren't germane to our story, she was never exposed to love. Every time she'd be with Cassie, on one of our vacations or coming home to visit for a holiday, she would cry and we'd all say, Irene, honey, why are you crying? And she'd say, because of love. And finally, it occurred to us and it occurred to her that God was inviting her to be a part of our family that we were supposed to become invited to become space for this young woman and she and all her loveliness would become space for us. Number two, in each story, adults are making intentional choices for the sake of the child. The women are offering Moses a life he would not have had. Otherwise, they are sacrificing safety, comfort, and deep longing in the case of Moses' mother for the sake of a child. Our children are complex, deep human beings. They have unique personalities, giftings, challenges, etc. We are invited to think deeply about those we are entrusted with and make thoughtful, informed, sacrificial choices. And finally, we're invited to be curious. If I had to unpack treasured these things in her heart, I would say, I would use the word curious, I would say, Mary chose to remember, to give interior space to, to wonder about all she saw. She allowed things to simmer, and over time, with more and more data. She would have more and more understanding. Mary invites all of us to treasure in our hearts the many things we see in our kids and to hold them gently, understanding them as treasure, remaining open to all it could mean. So I'll close with this shout out to Leanna and to our kids' wing, which I am biased. This is an email from one of our moms. It says, I'm a mother of two. I've been coming to Sanctuary for a few years now. My oldest is three and loves the early childhood classroom. My son has some special medical needs and recently had a tricky medical situation to navigate. I felt comfortable knowing that the volunteers had the information they needed should an issue arise and confident about the love he received. Sanctuary's approach to helping kids build relationship with God through lessons boiling down to love has helped me introduce these themes at home with my toddler. I don't have a single worry about my children's safety or how they will encounter Jesus through Sanctuary. One of the main reasons I chose to make Sanctuary our family's spiritual home was the love it exhibits for our little humans. Watching the children playing together and the families helping one another on Sundays gave me a sense from the beginning that this was a place that lived its stated values for doing life together. As I've gotten to know more about how the kids' wing pulls off all they do, I've learned two things. One, it looks easy because of the massive amount of preparation and thought put in. And two, I have a lot to learn in order to offer my kids access to spiritual relationship I hope they build and a great place here to support that growth. So thank you, Leanna, and all of our Kids Wing staff and volunteers, and once again, to the families who dedicated your babies and your children this morning, we bless you and we love you and we honor you.